Catholic, Lutheran and Anglican churches, the habit consists of a tunic covered by a scapula and cowl with a hood for the monks or friars and a veil for the nuns. In apostolic orders, it may be a distinctive form of cassock for men or a distinctive habit and veil for women. It would usually have a wimple or a guimp. But don't worry, we're not talking about those types of habits. We're going to look at different types of habits over the next few weeks. And uh, as I was looking for um, preparing and looking for inspiration, he sometimes look, well, is there a song you could play or anything? I've only got one song in my collection that mentions habit, and it's about um, not being able to get over a drug habit, so I didn't think that was the one to play today. So we're going to look at habits, the things that, you, that we do routinely, sometimes without having to think about it. And habits are a type of behaviour that we repeatedly engage in. They become automatic. Habits are patterns that basically they get moulded into our brains. They're automated processes that allow your brain to pretty much turn itself off. Now habits can have lots of benefits. The most important one being that you can turn a behaviour into an automated process. Just for a moment, think about the journey, a journey that you make regularly. Yeah, a journey you make regularly. Could be travelling from home to work or to a relative's house. It doesn't matter how you'd make the journey, what mode of travel. You know the journey, you've made it lots of times and you, you don't have to think about it, do you? But sometimes it happens to me after I've driven home from work, well, when I used to have to drive to work, um, but sometimes it'd happen that, you know, I'd get home and... I think, actually, I couldn't tell you about a certain part of the journey. Yeah, anybody else experienced that? Yeah? It's not because we're on mobile phones texting or anything like that. Um, it's just automatic. Um, it, it's happened, of course, you were at work and now you're at home. But you can't remember anything about it because it's habit. And while you're doing that, your brain just thinks about other things, doesn't it? While you're doing that, because it's memorised into your subconscious. In fact, they reckon about 40% of our daily actions aren't based on conscious decisions, but the habits. I'm looking at some people, and I think it might, might be higher than 40% of conscious, habit, conscious decisions. No, no, that's naughty, sorry. Um, now, of course, habits can go one or two ways, can't they? There's good habits, and there's bad habits, or healthy habits and unhealthy habits. And unfortunately... It's, it's much easier to adopt the bad or unhealthy habits. And the reason for that is that the behaviour starts with a cue and it ends with a reward. And the better the reward and the easier the action, the quicker your mind gets used to that habit loop, if you like. And good habits are usually really much harder to adopt. For instance, working out takes a lot of effort. It's physically draining at time out of your day when you might want to do something else which is a bit easier. And because of that, it takes longer to adopt good habits, doesn't it? I reckon it's 66 days on average to adopt a good habit. And when you do, it means that you don't have to think about that process anymore. You'll just go to the gym. I'm on day 5. Um, you'll go to the gym or you'll do your exercise. But you won't, you'll look forward to it. Yeah, you'll look forward to it. And you'll get that reward because you enjoy going. You'll feel fit and healthy. And I saw an article which gave seven reasons why good habits are so important. Number one, tasks get automated. Number two, habits help you develop self-discipline. 
Good habits help us reach our goals and habits can replace motivation. You can use your brain for other things in the meantime, you'll be much more productive and habits can help you be organised. So if I give you a personal example of adopting a healthy habit, I was going to talk about brushing teeth but um, having had to have one removed this week we won't go there either but I'll give you an example towards the end of 2019 Justine's cousin asked if I wanted to start playing football on a Friday evening now I hadn't played football properly for about eight years and this at the end of 2019 it was well uh, I was I wasn't back at work yet after the problems I'd had with, with my heart and that so I was a little bit apprehensive about it and I thought you know maybe after the next checkup we'll see how it goes well, that was the end of 2019. March 2020, what happened? <laughs> COVID, lockdown, all went on hold. Um, and it wasn't until May this year that I started playing football again. So the first week I went, I meet the other players, we have a kick about to warm up and then the match starts. And I turn quickly to close down one of the opposition players. I thought, ooh, ooh. And I had to spend the rest of the match trying to work out how to run when my leg felt it as though he wanted to fall off. <laughs> the next week, it was the same kind of thing happened. And on the third week, yeah, if you're going off players, then you'll, like, you'll go on and off for five minutes or so. And I did five minutes and then went off. I was going to come back on. And I came back on and I went to move and I was like, I walked straight back off because my head wanted to play, but my legs didn't. I was out of the habit, wasn't I? It hurt when I was having to turn quickly, stretching to tackle and so on. And some weeks it maybe felt a little bit better, but the next it would hurt again. And I was talking to somebody just at the start of September that I used to play football regularly with. And they're saying, you know, we're older now and it hurts, doesn't it? Uh, and I'm thinking to myself, it hurts. And I'm really not sure whether I should carry on because it does hurt. However, three weeks ago, we got to the end of the match and I didn't have to hobble back to the car afterwards. I didn't have the pain in my knees or my calves. And why? Because the body was back into the habit of playing football. Justine's cousin was said afterwards that, you know, quite a lot of guys sign up and then they give up after a few weeks because they don't push through that pain and they don't get you back into habit. So habits are important, are they? But why are we talking them about, about them at church? Well, we should have healthy habits in our spiritual lives as well, shouldn't we? Yeah. And, you know, as we were planning, we've been thinking about the events of the last 19 months now. We've been saying 18 months since 12 months, but now it's actually 19 months. We're thinking about how events of the last 19 months may have disrupted some of these uh, healthy habits. And I was thinking, you know, I used to play football regularly. It used to be during the week and matches on a Saturday, but I got out of the habit. It happened because the one year we moved house in September, the start of the season... Saturdays got taken up with decorating, things like that. And before I knew it, the season was finished. The next September, Jack was born. And, you know, kids take up your time, don't they? So I got out of the habit. So just as stuff got in the way of my football habit, in October 2021, I'm sure you'll agree, stuff has disrupted and broken habits in our spiritual lives. And as we look to get back into some, sort, some sense of normality... As we get past COVID, we just want to spend a few Sundays looking at what healthy habits we should be picking back up. Now, because we're meeting back in person again, I can ask a question and get a response rather than just stand at the camera and pause. 
imagining somebody's watching somebody somewhere. So, can you tell me some of the healthy habits we should have in our spiritual lives? Shout them out. Prayer. Prayer. Reading the Bible. Tithing, giving financially. What was that? Meeting together, yeah. He said what I was saying, yeah. Um, anything else? Encouraging? Yeah. I'm sure you could think of more as well. Some important habits to have there. And if you grew up in church or if you've had kids go through church, do you remember the song? Read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. Yeah, you remember that? Oh, oh Monty's carrying on. Grow. If you want to grow, read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. Uh, yes, Mons can go on happy now. <laughs> I was, was going to say, I bet Phil Moles now is the second verse or third verse to it as well. He, he was just carrying on there by himself. <laughs> we sing that, don't we, to encourage our kids to pick up healthy habits for their spiritual development. And we've listed a number of habits that are important for our spiritual health. But in the time that we've got this morning, I just want to focus on a habit that was most impacted, perhaps by COVID, the habit of gathering together. Yeah? Can I spend a few, just a few moments looking at that? So let's read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let's consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And I'm reminded of a short illustration. A mum shouts up to her son, come on, it's eight o'clock, it's time to get up, you've got to be at church for nine. At quarter past eight, the son hasn't appeared downstairs, so the mum goes upstairs, opens the curtains, gives them push and says, come on, you've got to leave in half an hour to get to church. The son grumbles, I don't want to go to church today. To which his mum replies, I know son, but you've got to go, you're the vicar. <laughs> Has anybody had one of those moments since we started meeting again on a Sunday? No, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As someone who's grown up in church, as I have, it, it has to be said, um, and I had to be there at church early most weekends, most Sundays. Um, not having to get out of the house early on a Sunday morning wasn't without its positives. Yes. Rachel says amen. <laughs> it wasn't without its positives. I've said before, nine o'clock on a Sunday is a great time to get to the tip at Billbrook. Even when they reopen after lockdown for the first time and there are huge queues throughout the rest of the week, straight in and out at nine o'clock on a Sunday morning, pick up a coster on the way home, sit down, ready for online church. Yeah, there. And I say it knowing it's not just me. I know I'm, I'm, not, I'm not backsliding or anything like that, saying that. Having spoken to other people in church leadership, in other churches who served for years, all of a sudden the habit's been broken and it's made a lot of people stop and think. Now, I should just clarify here that earlier when introducing the theme of habits, I said they're automated processes that allow your brain to pretty much turn itself off. 
Now, I'm not saying that when we're reading our Bible or praying or when we're gathering together, we should switch our brains off. So some of you switch it back on now, please. Um, no, no, again, that's naughty, sorry. But I went away with a group of Christian guys on a stag weekend several years ago. We stayed in a big house in the Brecon Beacons. And when we were just in the house, just relaxing, one guy would just automatically go and pick his Bible up and start reading it. It was in the days before smartphones and things like that. But while the rest of us would perhaps put the television on or, you know, you go and turn somebody's bedroom upside down or anything. I think we ended up having to replace a bed that weekend. Um, Not me. Not me. Um, But while we were doing that, this guy used to go and pick his Bible up and just sit down and read it. It was his habit. I've got free time, so I'm going to read the Bible. That automated process of picking the Bible up, of praying and meeting together, you know, automated in our brains, but our minds, hearts, very much switched on ready to hear, to encounter the living God and sense the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So when we gather, we want it to be automated, but not with our brain switched off. And just to put these verses in Hebrew in some context, the Hebrew Christians were becoming discouraged and complacent. Some of them had been faithful in their attendance at first to stop gathering together. Why? Because they were fearful of being persecuted for their faith. You know, we don't really face that in our country today, do we? I know some people were up in arms when churches were closed in lockdown and they were saying that we were being persecuted, but it really wasn't persecution, was it? Some later decisions about reopening churches and uh, society did seem to neglect churches meeting together, yeah. And uh, seeing people singing in pubs when we couldn't sing in church was a, a, a little bit disappointing, but I don't think it was persecution. And there's some other reasons why Christian, Hebrew Christians weren't gathering together. Some of them had leadership issues in the church. Some of them discouraged because they wanted to have leadership positions and didn't get one. Also, some of them were afraid that if they showed up, they were going to get a leadership position. <laughs> and because <laughs> and you didn't want to be a leader perhaps back in those days, because if you said you're a Christian, you had to really mean it. It could mean giving your life what you believed in and so if you were a leader it put you in grave danger so going to church because you're a leader you know you didn't want to do that and becoming a leader wasn't for everybody and at this time as well some others had given up meeting together because they'd expected Jesus to have returned already yeah they thought that Jesus would return by now and life would be better and it, it hadn't happened so, you know, maybe, maybe we didn't get it right. What does the writer of Hebrews say to them back then? Don't give up. And that's a message to us today as we consider why perhaps people aren't coming to church in the numbers they were pre-pandemic. Don't give up. You know, I saw a series of tweets from a guy called Peter Linus uh, from the Evangelical Alliance, which started with this. Based on conversations with lots of leaders in different contexts and some informal polls, here is what I'm hearing and seeing in terms of church regathering. Volunteers. Less people are volunteering to do less things. Now, there's a healthy reset in this because we said before, haven't we, it's not just about doing and being busy, it's about being wise in how we use our time. But it also presents a challenge. How do you provide ministries without volunteers? People are having to make tough decisions necessary about what can be run or what can't. 
And just link back to what we were talking about last few weeks, dreams. Yeah, and we're saying we had in the message a few months back now um, for, from Will and Jason Clark. You know, the serving, it's not just about coming and do something. It's opening that opportunity for someone else to connect in with this community and family. But volunteers is one of the issues of regathering. The hybrid, the online, some have stopped encouraging in person. Um, some have stopped their online to encourage in-person services. Some see hybrid as crucial and few think that online is the future. But the problem is online is resource intensive. You know, we've stopped our online service in part, and probably the main part, because of the resource intensiveness of it. That people are having to be here now on a Sunday in person would then have to go and do. So if you want to have church online, please come and see me because we look for volunteers to do that because it does have a purpose, it does have a role, but we've got to be wise in how we use our resource and, and in the church. Finances is a mixed bag here. Many are doing okay, some have grown, some are, feeling, some are starting to feel it now as people are making decisions about church and giving now. But generally, with finances, the feedback is, is okay. Frequency of attendance, people are returning, but showing up less frequently. If you had a congregation of 150, it maybe meant you had 100 or so on any Sunday. Now that's more likely to be about 75. 10% have left, 10% have gone to a different church, 10% aren't back yet, and the rest just show up less often. They've looked at discipleship, they looked at uh, community and pastoring, evangelism and the impact on evangelism. Uh, you couldn't do evangelistic events as such, could you? Face to face with people in person. We talked about factoring, we talked about the impact of kids and youth of, of COVID. You know, we need to pray for our young people that in terms of COVID and the impact that it's had on them. Huge challenges in that and huge opportunities as well. And it's caused people to look differently in terms of gathering together about life and faith. And now, as I said, some of this is a chance for a healthy reset to stop and think about, you know, all the effort that we make. We've made changes to, to our setup because we realised we were putting so much effort into this setup here that it was exhausting people who weren't able to give their best because they were worn out by the time the service started. So, so these tweets about why people aren't gathering together and some huge challenges facing us as we look, as we start to gather again. Gather again. But it was slightly reassuring to read that it's not just us. You know, this is happening with our church family across the globe. And in the time we have left, let's just think a bit more about those two verses in Hebrews and why we need to gather with each other and other believers. Oh, I'm, I'm talking to you here today and so I'm probably, no, is it singing to the choir? Preaching to the converted? But in verse 24 it says, let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. The word consider, it's written in the present tense. So it's an ongoing, it's an unending process. It means we don't give up and we don't stop in the process of looking out for one another and we continue to recognise gifts and abilities and talents of another. We consider each other, we're saying we accept our responsibility to engage with and encourage someone else. We have a mutual responsibility to look after each other, priesthood or believers. And we do so to spur each other on 
In other translations of the Bible, the word spur is replaced with motivate or encourage. We look out for each other. We love more. We're inspired to do more things. We cheer each other on to do love and good deeds. We motivate someone else into action. Because motivating someone else, it's part of that lifelong process of becoming more and more like Jesus daily. And when we do that, the world becomes aware of God's love and God's grace. Now, thanks to technology, we've been able to stay connected through lockdown, haven't we? And I know some people uh, have been encouraging people with calls and messages over that time. But in verse 25, the writer encourages the Hebrews to actually continue meeting together, encouraging each other. It's our responsibility to encourage the habit of gathering together. As we read in Proverbs 27, verse 17, iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Now, obviously, when this book of Hebrews was written, they didn't have Zoom, they didn't have Facebook, but they did have letters of way of communicating and staying in touch. And they recognised that, you know, you can only encourage someone through much, someone so much through letter and not face to face. Ecclesiastes 4 verses 9 to 12 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labour. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. The verse was written to warn dangerousness uh, of breaking away and living without the support of the church and the church family. Neglecting the, and the warnings of the dangers of neglecting the need to participate in church um, and being separated from that nurture and care of the church family. And of course, when we talk about neglecting meeting together, we're not just talking about our Sunday services. Apparently, the Greek word used in this time was left ambiguous, so gathering together can be applied to other events, to all events and gatherings. So Sunday services, midweek services, journey groups, celebrations. We recognise the importance of coming together to worship on a Sunday as a church, but we should look to gather together at other times as well. If you're not in a journey group, consider signing up for one. Gather together in that space. We have guys praying on a Monday night. You could join that space. Make the use of the offer of a coffee to meet up with somebody at the table or living water to gather together. Because I think gathering together was important for Jesus. And it's a good job because right from his birth, people gathered around him, didn't they? Can you imagine if Jesus was an introvert and he was like, oh, I've got a crowd again. He didn't know, he embraced the crowds, didn't he? He embraced the gathering around him. It's almost as though he needed to be part of his DNA. No. (laughs) Um, At the start of his ministry, he gathered the disciples around him. Through his ministry, people were drawn to him in their thousands. They gathered around him. He told the disciples off when they tried to stop the children from gathering around him. Yeah, Jesus was very much about gathering. Very different to my daughter Eva's attitude when she was little on her birthday party. And she came to us and said, can you tell them to go home now? I'm tired. We said, no, you can't do that. So she just went around and said, I'm going to bed now. Good night. And took self off to bed. It's dead. Jesus wasn't like that. He liked being around people and gathering. He said himself, didn't he, in Matthew 18, verse 20, for where two or three are gathering my name, there I am with them. 
It's a promise that, that when we gather together, Jesus is there. And it's a verse that's often quoted in smaller gatherings, isn't it? Perhaps sometimes to encourage each other. Perhaps when we were hoping for bigger numbers, maybe. We say it. But actually the verse is taken from a passage with a heading dealing with sin in the church. So while it's truth, we perhaps need to be careful not to take it out of context as well. But it struck me that people were drawn to Jesus, weren't they? Back in that, when he was on earth, people were drawn to gather together around Jesus. And today, we're the body of Christ, aren't we? So... I have to conclude people should be drawn to gather together around us. Yeah? If people gathered around Jesus and we are now the body of Christ, people should be drawn to gather around us. And I was reminded that as, we, as I prepared this message, when we announced back in 2013 about the old building being demolished, we were also looking at the theme of oikos, community, being together. And it seemed odd at that time, we were talking about community being together, that we were going to take down, dismantle the place where we actually gathered together. Where would this community gather? But actually, what we've had to learn is it's not about where we gather, is it? It's why we gather. We gather to build each other up, to build a community around Jesus at the centre. And I know times, at times circumstances prevent Christians from being able to attend church and gather with others. And in that scenario, I'm absolutely sure and confident that people will be sustained and encouraged in other ways. But God didn't design us to be completely independent of each other, did he? And there's a difference between wanting to gather and not being able to and choosing to prioritise other things over gathering together. And some of that is perhaps thinking about, it comes down to, sorry, some of that thinking comes down to why it is that we gather. Now, when we come to church, do we come expectant? Do we come expecting to receive something, to get something, to encounter the living God? We should do. Yeah, we should do come expectantly. But if we just come to consume... If that's all that, we, if we just think, well, I'm just going to get what I can get from other, from, from going, you know, if you're feeling okay that day and you feel like, oh, I'm okay today, I don't need anything, you're perhaps more likely not to come. Yeah, you follow me thinking? I'm doing okay, I don't need to gather together today. But as, we, as we've read this morning, gathering together isn't just about what you receive from it. It's about encouraging others. So, you know, if you're not here, you're discouraging me. If I'm not here, you're delighted. <laughs> yeah, it's about encouraging each other, isn't it? You know, what can we bring to, to, to gathering together? We should come with a posture to serve, not to consume. Not what do I get, but what can I give? What can I bring? You know, Thomas Jefferson was noted as saying, a candle loses nothing when it lights another candle. Sharing, mentorship, encouragement, caring, giving, supporting, like a candle, lighting another candle, there are words which can be used to describe the Christian who cultivates and enriches the lives of others in their local church. You know, we need to be there to encourage each other, to be accountable to each other, to lift each other up, to comfort, to challenge, to teach, to love, to bear the burdens of others to pray together. We celebrate success together as well, don't we, in achievements. 
We stand strong together through adversities and struggles. John Wesley once wrote, there's nothing more unchristian than a solitary Christian. So in conclusion, let's consider how we encourage each other, how gathering together in person can encourage each other towards love and good deeds. So we're more active and intentional in our faith, our church and community. We're all motivated to manifest the love of Jesus Christ to those around us. What's God saying to us in this new season about our gathering habits? What's he saying to us about our gathering habits? It's good that we're meeting again in person on the Sunday, isn't it? Yeah, it's good that we've got so many people here. But what's he saying about gathering at other times? As I said, if you're not in a journey group, what about joining a journey group to gather at other times? What about getting involved, helping uh, in some activity and gathering in that space as well? to help others. And as we think about our new gathering habits, what holder habits do we not pick back up? What habits do we have to put down and say, because we can't do everything. So what habits do we put down and not pick back up? We're going to carry on with the theme of habits next week, but hopefully that's just started to think about some of your habits and and where we're at as as a church at the moment. So thank you for for listening this morning.